Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. So grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach LaGreca. Kevin Gentry. Lou Cirillo. And today we wanted to talk about uh, some myths of product management. In particular, we were we were talking about um, something I think a lot of product managers, aspiring product managers, and, or people in technology have heard. And that's this idea that is the product manager, you're the CEO of your product. Is that something you guys have heard before? Pretty routinely. Even when I was looking at product management career stuff, they were like, yeah, you get to be fully in charge of your product. Uh, once you get to product management, you find out that that's totally not true. Yeah, I feel like it's in every book or article that it's like intro to product management classes or, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a, a topic. Yeah, I feel like, like that is the perfect um, kind of a summation of the wannabe Steve Jobs idealization of the role where it's all of the people who have this idea of it being this flashy role where you're in control. Everyone listens to you. You're this brilliant genius. Um, that kind of seems to be the mindset and, uh, maybe I'm just not a brilliant genius, but in my experience, that's, that's very much not what a lot of the role is like. (laughs) Yeah. Why, why don't we break that down a bit? Like what are the truths of that and what are the lies? Maybe we can start with the lies. (laughs) Well, I think the, the first, the first lie is that when you say a statement like that, it almost presumes that you don't have to work collaboratively, right? That you are the only owner of your product. But, you know, in reality, it's like you, everybody seems to forget that CEOs are beholden to shareholders or be beholden to board of directors. So every decision you make has an upfield consequence. So as much as like, yeah, you do get to make, I think a lot of the decisions we it's not talked about as frequently in the earlier days that yeah you're gonna have all these other people who even though they may not be able to make the final choice they do have a say in your product and if you don't give that to if you don't take into their account their feedback it's really not going to help you as a product manager i'd agree with that i think one of the big things too is the the power dynamics like uh, are just definitely different as a ceo by nature, you are the boss of everyone. Now, whether or not that means it's effective to always just tell everyone what to do, maybe not necessarily. Um, but in terms of like the actual power dynamics, you you are the boss. As a, as a product manager, most of the time, uh, people aren't reporting to you. Uh, and definitely the majority of people who help you launch a product are not reporting to you. Um, so you have to, you have to approach how you uh, lead a team differently. Um, and so I, I think one of the, the big things that makes a really good PM is um, their ability to influence and get buy-in. Now, obviously, CEOs have to do this a lot too, but it, it's, it's kind of coming from a very different vantage point. Um, and so as a product manager, no one asked you to be there. I, I, I forget who has that saying. There's some person in the product sphere who says something along the lines of, no one asked you to show up. Um, as the CEO, you hire people, et cetera. As the product manager, uh, you know, the engineer doesn't need you there to code. The designer doesn't need you there to design and so forth. Um, so how do you, how do you go about influencing people and getting buy-in when no one asks you to show up? 
yeah, that's a major core pillar of that product manager job as an individual contributor is how do you uh, cross-functionally influence. And it's, uh, it's an interesting one. I, I think some tactics that I've used is um, really listening and, and trying to um, understand the, the, the stakeholders that you have, like um, their asks, their needs, their wants, their problems giving them an avenue to um, express those, right? Whether it's a uh, idealist, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Throw on all your ideas here so we can discuss each one. Or whether it's asking them to write up like a short description of these things. They need some sort of avenue so then they can express their problems and, and opportunities, right? And then understanding that you're kind of sitting at the hub of that information. We're not only hearing that from you, we're also hearing that from our clients and from our business and from everyone else, right? So, and then having that collaborative conversation and avenue where it's nice where you can get them all in a room in one location to discuss these things, um, to kind of share that mind or share that sense of urgency or opportunity or problem. I think if you have those avenues and opportunities to do that, um, it's definitely helpful. Um, depending on who your stakeholders are and how do you influence. But I completely agree. And I think one of the things that is probably not talked about enough is that a lot of people seem to approach product management as completely monolithic in that, oh, you kind of control the destiny of your product. Your product is self con- it's self-contained. It's a product inside of this business, right? When what you really need to be thinking about as a PM is, how does my product influence the overall growth of the business? And how can I take a part in the company's strategy? Like my strategy can't be rogue to the business just because I'm the product manager. It's like, no, the business has these goals and I need to take my product and figure out how to morph it into something that goes that direction. In the same, And even when you're prioritizing roadmap, it kind of goes that way, right? Like, you have some core importance pieces. Um, I know Kevin and I were working on prioritizing a piece for browser extension recently about for ad products. And that's because I want ad products to grow as well because it helps the company. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, I also have to keep in mind the product where, hey, if we have a buggy or a glitchy experience, then that's not going to help his ad products either. So you know, that's something that we're trying to work on, but it's a good avenue of how collaboration ultimately we strive for the same goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think kind that of another good myth is yeah. uh, pro- your product is not like in a vacuum and it's yeah. especially earlier on. That's how most people, tr- that's how I treated things initially. Oh yeah. And it's just not that simple. Yeah. I was going to say that's a, that's a mind shift change is like it, when you're ready for that next level in your product career is, is knowing that and realizing that and realizing how to navigate that. Um, concept a little more, right? Like I think Lee mentioned this, tying your roadmap back up to the company's objectives and like that cross collaboration, um, recognizing those things and calling those out and then moving forward your vision and that, you know, with that in mind, right? So I think that's, that's an indicator of like, hey, this person's ready for that next level um, thinking and product. Would you guys say in general that a lot of product managers feel afraid to give up control in some ways, even if it's like thought process. I've, I've noticed that a handful of times yeah, where, interesting. You, you know, they're like, wait, why are you developing an idea for my product? Like I'm supposed to be the one to do that. Or, you know, we, we kind of struggle with that every now and again, because I, we have a lot of platforms that are so closely linked that 
you could be in one design session and you'd be like, oh my God, but this would look so much great on this platform and, you know, everything else. But I feel like sometimes that's an issue that, you know, and I even have it sometimes that like you feel a little bit like, wait, why wasn't I the one to come up with that idea for my product? Oh yeah. I felt that all the time. <laughs> I think early on in your product career, if you don't feel that, I don't know <laughs> what you're doing. Uh, you just, I guess you're doing something right, but no, um, it, it, there is that pressure. I think it's just reading articles and the, you know, that you're supposed to be this person. You're supposed to be the CEO of the product, right? You're supposed to be the, the person that knows everything and should be driving priority and coming up with the ideas and executing, right? But you, you can't succeed in a vacuum. You can't succeed in the silo. Um, it needs that collaboration. You need that other, those other inputs and those other good ideas because most of those good ideas that you develop and push your vision forward probably won't come from you, right? It's yeah. probably, mm-hmm. you know, hey, this person's closer to this issue. They have this great idea. Let's go explore. So I think the way that you can manage those um, opportunities um, or, or that feeling is solidifying your vision and mission for the team, right? If you have those pillars of your strategy and your vision laid out pretty concretely, it makes complete sense if someone has an idea that fits within that, that pursue, uh, um, pushes your vision forward. And it makes it, it easy to um, adopt and, and take on or modify to, to, to fit the needs. So. Yeah, I, I definitely think product managers earlier on feel... Um, self-conscious and about the idea of others like contributing ideas towards their product because it feels like oh no that's that's my job if someone else has good ideas for my product then why am i here and that kind of falls into the same thing of like are you the ceo of the product like uh no one asked you to show up <laughs> um you're not you know, generally you're not this brilliant person coming up with all the good ideas and i think the the more uh the more you manage products the more you realize that everyone has good ideas, a lot of, like Kevin, like you said, a lot of the good ideas aren't coming from you anyway. Um, and I, I think that's part of that myth of like the CEO of product. Your role isn't to provide all of these, you know, moments of brilliance. Your role is really to bring a frameworks and structure for judging those ideas and understanding how those ideas fit in with the company strategy um, and understanding um, how you can be successful if you're to try and enact certain ideas um, and understanding like, when is the right time to try and build certain things. And so that's where a lot of that value comes in. And if you think about it that way, then that starts to sound less like a CEO and that starts to sound, you know, more like a, a, like a team coach, which is still an incredibly important role. Um, and you will sometimes have good ideas, but uh that's kind of one of the big things I've learned as you get further in your career. And as you start to become more comfortable with that and you understand that the value you're really delivering for your team is frameworks and structure and leverage, um, the less insecure you feel when people have those ideas, because um, you can think about how you're going to help your team potentially leverage new ideas like that. Um, the other thing I found too is uh, a lot of times all of the brilliant, I- not all of them, most of the brilliant ideas have been kicked around at some point in time in some form. Um, especially if you're interviewing at a new team, um, you know, as a younger PM, I'd always try and think of a brilliant idea to wow the, the interviewers okay. with. About like, here's what you need to do with your product. And occasionally I'd have something kind of interesting and that's still a good thing to do. Um, that shows you're thinking the right way. That's the something you need to do on the job. But a lot of times the brilliant feature you're proposing has been uh, discussed by multiple people, probably tried, 
Um, and so really it comes back to the framework for decisions. Um, one yeah, funny thing I've heard that I really liked is you're not the CEO of your product, but it is important to think like the CEO. Um, yeah, like talk to, let's talk about the benefits of that or the, the truths of that statement, right? I think having that responsibility and that ownership, the sense of ownership over the product and the decisions that are made, I think is where that makes a lot of sense. Um, curious to see what you guys think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the key point that Zach was getting at, and it's something I agree with, is that the product manager's job is to synthesize information into actionable strategy. And that means taking information from as many sources as you possibly can and compiling it. You know, in our, in my case, I, every time I sit down with different meetings, I like to have our engineering manager, an architect, a lead tech, you know, somebody who can be a tech lead, like partner, you know, partner squads, whatever else it is. And the entire goal is to just grab as much information as possible. So that when you're making a decision, you're making something with knowledge. And I think, the way if you do that correctly, what's also good is that it's highly motivating for your team members because they know you're not just doing stuff off the cuff, right? Like that's always important. It's, and then the other thing too is if you are really clear about what your vision for the product is, like where you want to get to end goal wise, that's great. And everybody else can help you work out the how, right? Here's what we want to get to. Let's, you know, let's figure out the how. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's super important. As long as that, you know, that vision is very clear and concrete and uh, you have your kind of pillars or your, your creative bounds. So when these ideas come up, it makes it very easy to, to, to promote and to, to pursue, right? I like, I like the, uh, what you brought up, Lou, about it kind of builds this sense of trust with the team when you operate this way. Uh, I found that to be true as well. Um, and I, I think like you talked about the big picture uh, kind of thinking, um, having the strategic mindset and the ownership mindset of a CEO or founder helps you do that because you're looking at all the pieces. You're concerned with how everything fits together. You're concerned with the overall success of the company and the organization over your individual success. Um, so doing those things inherently will make your products better because you're less concerned about ladder climbing or, you know, making short-term decisions or whatever that may be. Um, and you're also consider things holistic, considering things holistically. Um, and that is similar to how CEOs need to operate. So I think that's where some of that overlap, often, or, you know, in perception often happens. Um, but when you do those things, your team is going to start to trust you. And that brings a lot of that value because, your engineers, it's not their job to be up to speed with how marketing is trying to, to communicate about the product. Um, and they're not going to be up to speed on all the financials of, um, you know, your, your financial model for how the product makes money or has a path towards profitability. Um, and having those, those pieces of the picture is really helpful when your team is talking about how to do certain things and you can weigh in with those, those other perspectives, kind of like a CEO would be, okay, you know, here's the perspective that we need to be accounting for from finance or from legal or from sales. And, um, Teams find that helpful because they don't want to have, like engineers especially, they don't want to have to keep up on all of that, but they understand that it matters. And if you're bringing that, that's value you're bringing um, from kind of wrangling all of these different teams. You know, I think there's a, maybe we can spend the last bit. What are some suggestions that you all have for how to work effectively 
you know, how to manage all these different stakeholders. I know it's something we always touch on, but, you know, if you're working with, maybe we can do it this way. If you're working with another PM on maybe a collaborative product, if you're managing other stakeholders like product marketing or finance who have a stake in your product, and then last but not least is just general reporting structures. How would you guys think about that? And what are some tips you can give everybody to tell them how best to manage these different, different classes of people? Yeah, I think what's worked well for me um, around managing stakeholders was having that, um, that avenue where they're all in the same meeting at once or within a Slack group or something where as an idea comes up or an email thread, right? As an idea comes up and we discuss that, everyone's on the same page in terms of um, opportunity or priority. Um, I think that's been helpful and there's different ways to do that. One is, you know, maintaining an idea list for me has been super helpful and Hey, let's throw it on the list and let's, let's, you know, let's compare it to whatever else that we have in the queue because a lot of the times folks aren't thinking of the other things that, uh, or other ideas or opportunities. They're only thinking of the thing that's on top of their mind right now. Um, so it kind of helps them take a step back a little bit and think holistically. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, kind of keeping transparency around um, all of the ideas and kind of a, a record is a good idea. So th- there's, I think, two things I found helpful. Um, one you kind of touched on, Lou, was understanding kind of reporting structures. Um, I think that helps in terms of navigating the org because at the end of the day, um, kind of like people in sales trying to sell to other companies, you do want to know who certain decision makers are in case you need their, their buy-in. And so understanding those reporting structures and, and who some of the right uh, people to get on your side is, is a good idea. Because again, you're not the CEO. You can't say, do what I tell you uh, because I'm the CEO. And so what you do to get around that is if you, especially if you have uh, data and a point of view on what, what you need to do, try and get that buy-in from some of the, the key people um, that you need to. The other thing I would say is uh, the thing that's been most effective for me in stakeholder management is the idea of um, frame of reference. Um, so the, you know, the idea of your frame of re- reference is going to be different from someone else's frame of reference. Uh, for example, you know, if you're, you're in a car driving somewhere, in your frame of reference, everything within the car is still and everything outside of the car is moving. But someone else's frame of reference on the street sees the car driving by. Their frame of reference is that they're staying still and the car is flying by. Two very different perspectives um, that are both valid. So when you're trying to manage stakeholders, try and uh, get yourself into their frame of reference and understand um, like the tension points between your frames of reference that are still valid. And that's going to help you um, know how to win them over because you'll know what they're, where they're coming from. Um, you know, if you're thinking about legal, for example, they're trying to protect the company from uh, potentially uh, damaging things. Um, put, putting yourself in that frame of reference is going to be helpful instead of just saying, well, you know, these legal constraints make this a, a crappy experience and, you know, now they have to accept three things of terms. And knowing both frames of reference will help you come to, to better um, uh, better decision points in terms of managing all of the different things you have to manage. And I think that comes back to this overarching idea of operating kind of like a CEO. You have to make the best experiences and products you can um, with the entire playing field 
um, but with the reality that you're, you're not a CEO. Yeah, I'd say, and in general, in, in my perspective, what you always want to do is manage a really solid roadmap and take advantage of your roadmap tools. And that way you can lean in on them and say, hey, you know, let's get a good idea. Okay, here's the things that we've committed to for Q3. If we get some extra time, we might be, here's the list of things that we might be able to do in that extra time. And here's how we're going to think about them. And so you kind of let people know like, hey, you know, we've kind of built the plan. Um, here's the modifications to the plan that we might undertake. And, you know, here's how we could get something extra in. And so I think if you communicate out the framework and you're pretty solid about, you know, the theme of what you're trying to accomplish in any given time, um, it'll help set a good framework for people as they, even as they think about working with you. And, and one of the ways that we're trying to do this is now on, um, in our roadmap, I'm trying to add thematic tags for the quarter. So in our, our goal for this quarter is to build, you know, build up a great seamless experience and improve reliability and start baseline tracking. And so with that, all of the initiatives for the quarter are kind of tied up to that goal that we have. And there's some flex room in there, but that's what we're trying to use and we're trying to guide that. So we'll kind of tell people, hey, this quarter, if it doesn't go to this kind of objective, you know, it's probably going to be put on the back burner. And I think that's a that's been pretty effective so far. It's something new I'm going to try uh, this year or this quarter because, you know, last quarter was a lot of changes and this this one I'm trying to make it a little bit more specific. Great. Um, any homework you guys have for our listeners in terms of what to go um, do and apply to their jobs? Yeah. I, got, I got something. Um, so I, I, I think we've sort of debunked the idea that you are the CEO of your product, or at least I, I hope we've provided a compelling argument that that's generally not the case. Um, but something valuable to do is look at um, the role of CEO and break down two or three bullet points of how can you show ownership and leadership like a CEO, ownership, leadership, and vision like a CEO as a product manager without having the authority of a CEO. Uh, and then look at, look at the entire C-suite. How can you operate like a COO as a product manager without being in charge of the entire company? Um, how can you um, make sure that your, uh, the commercials of, of your, your, your products make sense um, like a C CFO would? Um, how can you communicate the value of your brand and make connections um, with that, from that message to your customers and uh, in general to the world like a CMO would? So look at, look at the C-suite. Think about what two to three bullet points you could do like those roles that's going to give you those frames of reference and that kind of complete picture of the entire playing field so that you can be a better coach but also understand that you know you aren't those roles. You're a coach that's trying to drive outcomes that balance across all of those roles. I'd say in general, just practice letting go. You know, take a step back and realize that sometimes to be the leader, you don't have to be the one with the ideas, but you have to be the one that establishes the frameworks and the working principles. And you can lead without being the idea guy. That's totally acceptable. So I think just practice letting go. It's all great. Well, thank you guys. Uh, looks like we finished our, our coffee. So um, please rate, 
comment, subscribe, all the fun stuff on uh, all of the great platforms. Um, we are we submitted a, a topic for uh, Denver Startup Week, so go take a look at that and vote for us. Um, other than that, go level up. Thank you.